Come on, Relentless. How can you say no to that, right? How do you say no to that? <laughs> Good morning. My name is Raph, associate pastor here at Relentless Church. Excited to be here with you all. Um, I do have an ask of you right up front. If, uh, I, I said this first service as well. Um, sometimes we don't do the best job as leaders expressing, communicating to all the needs that we have as a church. And so we do have a need for volunteers in RC kids. Uh, so whether that means caring for uh, our, our babies, our littlest ones in the nursery, or engaging with our preschoolers in the, in the pre-K room, engaging with them on Jesus on their level, or connecting with our, our older kids in the elementary room, uh, man, it is, a, it is a blessing. As someone who serves back there regularly, I can tell you it is a blessing. To, to serve with them, but not only are you blessing these kids, but it's a blessing to the parents who get to come in here and know that they're in a safe place, learning about Jesus on their level, and mom and dad can come in here uh, and, and, and um, also receive from, from Jesus. And so we do have a need in all those areas, um, and so I would encourage you, uh, if you got a Sunday a month even, and you want to uh, give it to, uh, to give back to some of these kids and, and to the Relentless, your Relentless family, please, so you can stop by. There's two ways. You can stop by the check-in desk on your way out and there's a little car that says say yes to RC Kids and fill that out and we'll get back to you or you can go right on our website and do that as well on the serve tab um, and, and uh, we'll, we'll get back to you and we'll get you plugged in. So looking forward to that. Um, but now for uh, the reason why we are here today, I'm super excited to kick off this new series called Back to the Table. Okay, back to the table. Now, if you were here uh, about four years ago, kind of blew my mind thinking back that it was uh, May of 2019, four years ago, that we uh, had, did a series called The Table here at Atlantis Church. And it was a series all about um, how, how Jesus, right, if you follow his life and his ministry um, and really go all the way back to New Testament and God, that you see God institute and the people of God commune around tables consistently all throughout scripture. And what we see is that the way that we connect, the way that we build relationships, the way we build fellowship happens best over a meal at, at the table. And so back in 2019, we stepped into this as a, as a church and it started to become a part of our culture and the fabric of who we are. And, uh, and God was moving and it was really great. And then all of a sudden, uh, as many of you know, COVID hit and all that kind of went out the window. <laughs> and we, we, uh, we, we, we stopped uh, coming outside the host house, let alone inviting other people in. And, and, and so uh, I just, I felt like it's time to get back to the table. And so I'm excited to jump into that. Now, when, when we did this series back in 2019, I had my old kitchen table actually up here on stage and, uh, and was able to go through like some of the, the memories and, and the, the, the milestones and the things that our family experienced at that table, right down to like the, the little spot that was worn out with the paint chipping from my kids because all the messes they made, like it's been wiped down so many times. And uh, that, since then, uh, we've had, um, I donated that table. We gave that table to, uh, to our friend Phil Maycheck. Many of you know him. He's a servant leader here at Relentless. And so He's building his own memories at that, with that table. Uh, we've had two tables since then. Obviously, neither of them has been as special because we're, we're, we just keep moving past them. Uh, and now we don't, even, we don't even have, well, we do have a dining room table that no one sits at, that we don't use. We eat our meals at an island now. Now, my wife makes fun of me for this because um, when I was a kid, ever since I was a kid, I felt like I always thought that islands, like a kitchen island, were for rich people. Like, I was just, I, we never had one, and the only times I've ever seen them were in, like, fancy houses and rich people's houses, and I was like, wow, when I grow up one day, I'm going to have an island, and I don't know I made it, you know? Like, I, this is it. And, and uh, sure enough, about a year and a half ago, my wife and I were blessed enough to, to sell our house and, and buy a new one, and we, uh, we remodeled the kitchen, so we were able to make it exactly how we wanted, and you better believe I put a giant island, like, right smack in the middle of that kitchen, right? Started from the bottom, now we're here, you know what I mean? Yes. 
<laughs> Yo, we all do listening to that. Clean version, right? Just kidding. Just kidding. So, yeah, so we eat at the island most days, but the, the reality is I didn't, it, the, the, whether you eat at a, at a kitchen table, a dining room table, an island, a coffee table, um, the table is not the point, right? The point is the power is in what can happen at the table. And that's, that's what we came here to, to talk about. Um, we, we established tabling as a verb here at Relentless Church. So here's how we define tabling. Tabling is the act of investing relationally with one another over a meal. The act of investing relationally with one another over a meal. Sharing tables is one of the most uniquely human things we can do. Think about it. No other, no other creature on God's green earth uh, consumes its food at a table. And sharing a table with other people reminds us that there's more to food than, than just fuel, right? Yes, God created us to need food for nutrition and for energy, right? That's part of his design, but it didn't, it didn't end there. That's not, that's not all of it, okay? And I want you to think about it through the lens of your five senses, okay? So, so sight, smell, touch, uh, sound, taste. Um, think about sight, right? So, so when you, that first time you see a, a, a big plate of food or maybe a, a beautiful plate of food, we're in, a, we're in a day and age now where everyone likes to... Instagram or take pictures of their meal, right? You go to a nice restaurant, you get, you want to let people know you were there, look what I ate, it was amazing, or, or, or maybe uh, my wife, I told first service, she's here now, so it's a little bit harder, but I told first service, my wife gets on me because, because if you were to look in my phone, you'd find more pictures of food than you do of her or even my family, that's, it's not good, I'm working on that, that's a confession for y'all, but you know, I'm, I'm passionate about it, but I grew up in a, a, a Puerto Rican household, okay, where food, like, equals love, right? And so, for me, it wasn't even, it didn't have to be a pretty plate of food, it just had to be big, right? Because, especially my brother, like, if I get the biggest plate, that means I got the most love, okay? Like, it was, it was proportional, okay? And so, just seeing that big plate of food, and you start getting excited, or, or maybe before you even see it, you smell it, right? That aroma. Think about whoever the best cook is in your family. Go back to grandma's house, or, or whatever, your, your spouse, or or who your cousin, or whoever it is, or, or maybe you walk in your favorite restaurant, but as soon as you walk in the door, the aroma of that food hits you, and your mouth starts to water, and you're anticipating the feast you're about to enjoy, right? And then we get to touch, texture, right? Think about some of y'all, I saw you in the cafe, that Krispy Kreme donut, pillowy soft, right? If you get there, you know if you get there early enough, it melts in your mouth, it's still warm, right? You can feel it, you know it, it's so good. Sound, Okay, I love one of my favorite sounds in, in the world is the sizzle of bacon in a pan. Just like, just crisping up, you know what I mean? I like it nice and crispy. Now, when you pull it out, you should hear a crunch. I want it to stand like a boy. Some of y'all are like, um, I don't, what do you, chewy bacon or like floppy, like soggy bacon, I call it. You can miss me with that. I want it to stand up. I want to hear the crunch. Crispy bacon is where it's at, okay? I got some crispy bacon fans. <laughs> Last but not least, taste. Taste, right? When you put that, that food you've been anticipating with all these senses finally enters your mouth and, and, and the flavor explodes on your taste buds and you're like, this is what it's about, right? Now, what am I doing? Just trying to get y'all hungry for lunch, right? No, I'm sorry for that. If I'm distracting you, now you're all thinking about what you're going to eat. The idea is this, that as we engage those senses throughout the course of a meal, you're reminded that there is a God who is good. And he invites you he invites all of us to stay connected to him, to experience him and the goodness of his creation with all of our senses. Why? To help us remember with the whole of our bodies that again, there's a creator in charge of it all and he is good. He is good, okay? That's the first thing. Secondly, the table is where we connect. The table is where we connect. 
Okay, tables are one of the most important places of, of human connection. In fact, I would argue that we are often most fully alive and, and, and more open to the most important aspects of life when sitting around a table and sharing a meal with others. Why? Because it forces us to slow down. It reminds us of the things that we have in common. And, and it also helps us to appreciate our differences. Relationships are formed at the table. They're tested and they are strengthened at the table. That's why it makes sense when we see that all throughout scripture, God has a way of showing up at tables. And, and, and no one uh, understood this better than Jesus Christ himself. In fact, the table is, is uh, where Jesus first connected with his disciples. We see him call his disciples, they, they follow him. And in John's account, in John chapter one, uh, Andrew and John come after Jesus and say, hey, where are you staying? And Jesus is like, come on, come check it out. And he invites them over. It's about four o'clock in the afternoon, we, uh, that the scripture tells us, which means, uh, and, and it also says they spent the rest of the, the day together, the, the rest of the evening together. And so surely they sat down, they had dinner, they had a meal, they broke bread together. And then Jesus proceeded to break down the scriptures pertaining to himself, to, to them, okay? And this established a regular, routine, something that Jesus would, would continue to do uh, with his disciples over and over again. It became a regular practice. The table is where he taught them. It's where he taught them how to relate, how to empathize, and how to identify with one another. I want you to think about who some of these people were. Okay, you got Matthew, the tax collector. If you're not familiar with tax collectors in Jesus's day, okay, their job was to collect taxes on behalf of the Roman Empire. So they were Jewish citizens who worked for the Roman oppressors, and they would go to their fellow Jews, Jewish citizens and collect not just the taxes that they owed Rome, but above and beyond those because that's how they made their own money. So they got rich by robbing their own, uh, their own countrymen. And so they were, they were hated and viewed as the low of the low in their society. So you got Matthew, a tax collector, sitting at the same table with Jesus right across from Simon the Zealot. Okay, now, if you don't know, zealots were like Jewish revolutionaries. Okay, they were, they were basically trained, many of them, from the time they were little, to be assassins. Okay, to their entire goal, their mission was to bring down the Roman Empire. Okay, so you got a, a Jewish assassin warrior who, who hates the Romans sitting across the table from, from a, a Jewish sellout who works for the Romans. Okay, Jesus in between, he says, hey, I made you one. You guys, you guys are one. Throw in some roughneck fishermen and some women as well. Mary's at the table. They're like, why is she here? What's, what's going on, right? That we didn't do that back in that day. Jesus did, okay? Let alone she was possessed by a bunch of demons before she met him, right? All these different backgrounds, cultures, like uh, just experiences, perspectives at the same table with Jesus. And again, they become one. They learn to identify with each other, to relate to one another, to even love each other. The tables where, where G, all that went down, whether it was at a, a dinner party with, uh, with sinners at Matthew's house with a bunch of other tax collectors or, or uh, at Zacchaeus's house, who, who also was a tax collector. Jesus was passed through town, said, I'm going to have dinner at your house today, brought his whole crew, everyone in town, all the religious leaders, all the, the people up there in society were like, I can't believe he's sitting down and eating with these people, right? But Jesus says, no, 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 I've got, I came to show you guys a, 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 a different way. Man, um, when he went to a wedding and turned water into, into wine and said, y'all go ahead and keep the party going, okay? Because there's a huge feast going on and we're going to continue to celebrate, okay? When he was uh, walking through town, thousands of people following him by this point, okay? To hear him preach the gospel and occurs to Jesus, hey, I, they must be hungry. And he says, disciples, break them all up into groups, put them in circles, organize them just like so. I'm going to go ahead and bless this food and multiply it and we're going to sit down and break bread together, right? Over and over again, Jesus used the table to teach his followers about 
grace, about compassion, about empathy, and to establish a regular place where, where they could experience joy, laughter, connection, fellowship with one another. Why is this so important? Because these are the same people that are ultimately going to be responsible for starting the church. These, these are the, the people for taking the gospel message, the incredible news of our rescue and adoption by God through Jesus. That's how we define the gospel here at Relentless Church. These, this is the team that Jesus would task to take that message to the rest of the world. Okay? Handpicked by Jesus to start a revolution that would literally change the face of the world. And in order to prepare them for that, in order to get the best out of them, in order to teach them to get the best out of one another, Jesus knew he had to connect with them first. Okay, they had to establish relationships. They had to get to know one another and learn to trust one another and eventually grow to love, truly love one another. And the way Jesus chose to do that repeatedly was at the table over a meal. I just think that's significant. I think, I think that's important for us to note that the method Jesus used, the best way he knew how to connect with people was by sitting at a table and sharing a meal together. The table is essential to following Jesus. The table is, is essential. It is a key component to, to the life of a Jesus follower. The act of investing relationally with one another over a meal, it's essential to following Jesus because it connects us to him and it connects us to one another. Connects us to him and it connects us to, to one another. Um, we showed that, that kid's video to, at the start of the service. If you were to ask any one of those kids in the video, or if you go pick up uh, your kid in elementary today, um, ask them, hey, what are, the, what are the two rules, the two most important rules in RC Kids? And they'll tell you, love God, love others. Love God, love others. That's because that's the greatest commandment. And we want to make sure we introduce that to them at a young age so that it gets in them and they realize these are the two most important things I'll ever do in my life is love God and, 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 and love others. And again, that came from Jesus. Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 to 40, uh, there's a, a, a religious leader, a scholar of the law who comes to Jesus trying to trip him up and says, hey, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? There's a whole bunch of them in, in, in a Jewish and the Hebrew Bible, okay? What's the greatest one? What's the most important thing for us to know? And Jesus says, verse 37, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. Jesus says, love God, love others. That's the most important thing you can do. It's the most important commandment. And yes, those are connected. You asked for one and I gave you two because they, they, they belong together. They're connected. In other words, when you love God with, with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, it will manifest itself in your love for others. Love is relational in nature, isn't it? Like there's no, there's no true love outside of the context of relationship. And there's no, there's no God outside of the, the context of, of connection, community, relationship as well. In the beginning, right, when, when God created the first man, first of all, he created women shortly after because he said it is not good for man to be alone, right? But when he created them, he said, let us make man in our image. In our image, let us create them. It was plural, right? God, from the beginning, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, from community, we were created for community, Okay, and so, so that's why that's, that's in us. It's at the core of who he is, and so because we're created in his image as humans, it is at the core of who we are. Okay, we were designed for community. This is why we long to be loved. It's why we crave relationships, because there's something in us that was put there by God to, to be that way. 
And that's why our vertical relationship with God, when I'm, when I'm doing it right, when I'm seeking him earnestly and being obedient to what he's calling me to do and who he's calling me to, to be, it always leads towards loving horizontal relationships, right, with my brothers and sisters. Relationships happen. Connections are made. Trust is built and love is nurtured at the table. And it's not until we step into that that we'll ever be able to reach our full potential in Jesus Christ. As, as, as brothers and sisters, as husbands and wives, as, as friends, as followers of Jesus, and as the church. Tabling is essential to following Jesus because it connects us to one another. Okay, let's, let's start there. The table connects us to one another. And you don't have to take my word for it, okay? Uh, this is the example that we see of the early church in the book of Acts, okay? Acts was written by uh, Luke. He wrote the gospel of Luke and then continued with the story of the, uh, the early church, a historical account of the early church in, in Acts, also known as Acts of the Apostles. And so we're gonna be in Acts chapter two, but just some context from Acts chapter one. Jesus appears to the disciples one last time, okay? So he, this is post-resurrection. He's already come back and visited them. Now he visits, visits them one last time before he ascends into heaven. And he promises them the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he tells them, hey, I want you to go out and spread the gospel to the ends of the earth, okay? Uh, and, and I promise I will be with you, okay? And that's, that's what he meant when he said his spirit was gonna be with them. And, and, and so then Jesus ascends into heaven right before their eyes. And, and, and they're left just sitting there staring up in the sky. Like I imagine them just mouth open, slack jaw, like, and who knows how long they were there, but it was long enough for some angels to show up and be like, wake up. Hey, he just told y'all to go do something. Get to work. Get to work. And so, so finally they, they do. And, and, and Luke records the Holy Spirit comes and there's this amazing scene where, where all these different people from, from every nation was, were together in the city of Jerusalem, and they all spoke different languages, okay? But suddenly, uh, they, could, they could all understand each other. So they're speaking different in their native tongues, each of them, but yet they can communicate and understand one another, and it causes this confusion, and no one understands what's, what's going on. But Scripture tells us they were all filled by the, the Holy Spirit. And, and uh, at one point, someone said, man, they must be drunk. I think everyone's drunk. And Peter's like, man, it's 9 a.m. They can't be drunk. And John looks at him like, it's 5 o'clock somewhere, man. Come on. That's my... Some of my favorite jokes. I always get, always get to laugh. But then <laughs> Peter, empowered by the Spirit, right, gets up and he preaches the first gospel message, calls people to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of their sin. And let's see what happens. Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 3,000 new believers baptized into Jesus that day. Amazing scene, right? Amazing. He continues, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayer. And so Luke says these new believers, okay, these new Jesus followers devoted themselves to four things, okay? Number one, teaching. They continued meeting corporately to hear the preaching of God's word, okay? Secondly, fellowship. Close mutual relationships. In other words, they did life together. They committed to doing life together, okay? Third, breaking bread. Breaking bread, that's tabling, y'all. They invested relationally over a meal. They got into each other's homes and they shared meals together, okay? They also took communion together, which uh, we're gonna talk about in a little bit and, and, and have the opportunity to do as well as a church later on here. Uh, and then last but not least, prayer. Prayer, all of these things were, were steeped in, bathed in, soaked in prayer, okay? These new believers committed 
to these four things. And again, just like Jesus, Luke makes it clear. He makes a clear connection between our personal faith, right? Vertical, me and God, and, and, and my relationship with Christian community, loving others, okay? There's a, there's a connection, clearly, in the early church, the way um, Jesus meant it to be. Verse 43, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. So God's presence and power caused such an atmosphere that even, even non-believers felt it. Like even, even people who, who um, could not accept or did not believe or didn't understand or wouldn't go so far as to say uh, that they, they bought that Jesus was resurrected, that he really was the son of God, that, that, that he was their Lord and Savior. They, they didn't believe in Jesus, but they could not deny that something was happening. They're like, hey, I'm not down with the whole Jesus thing, but I'll give you that something's going on. We can feel it. We know something's happening. Verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. So we know for a fact that they did not have everything in common because Luke already told us that many of them were from different countries and spoke different languages, okay? And, and so um, we know at least culturally that they must have had lots of differences, right? That, that makes sense. So why would Luke say they had everything in common? Okay, he's talking about a unity of purpose. He's talking about unity of purpose. What he's saying is, despite their obvious differences, okay, they had the most important thing in common, which was Jesus. Okay, it's not, it's not that they agreed on everything, but, but that their hearts and minds were so aligned on, on, on Jesus' kingdom priorities that their personal preferences and their personal agendas became secondary. There was unity of purpose. They had unity of purpose. This is the same unity that Jesus himself prayed for. In John chapter 17, before he knew he was going to the cross and he, and, he, and he prayed to the Father, God, I pray that they would be one as you and I are one. Make them one, unify them. It's important for us. That's so important for us. I think it's instructive for us as a church. Relentless in 2023, uh, we, are, we are striving to become a gospel-centered, forever-focused, multi-ethnic movement of God. And, and, and it's, it's instructive to, for us to go back and look at the church that, that Jesus instituted and, and how they did things. Why? Because we live in a culture today that screams, it's us versus them, right? Us versus them. And you have to take a side. There's no room for nuance. There's no room for the conversation. It's my way or you're, you're with me or you're against me, right? And we live in a culture that perpetuates that and celebrates that and, 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 and through various ways is pumping that into our hearts and our minds everywhere we look, right? It's us versus them. Spiritual warfare is also very real. So we have an enemy, right, who, who, who would love nothing more than for each and every one of us to, to define ourselves and commit our lives to anything and everything but Jesus Christ. So whatever that looks like for you, if it's your personal politics or, 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 or your race or your culture or your language or your relationship or whatever it is that, that, that culture says, hey, this is the most important thing and you better hang on to it and you better, you better define yourself by it and anyone who thinks differently is the enemy and don't even try to, 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 to have a relationship with them. I just came to tell somebody, Jesus said, no, 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 that may be the way the world works, but that's not who I'm calling you to be. That's not how it works in my kingdom. And, and so we see an example here in the early church of, of, of these believers from all over, different backgrounds, different stories, different cultures, different experiences, okay? And, and they're inspired by the Holy Spirit, filled with the Spirit of God. They had such a great love for one another that they sacrificed and they cared for each other. 
They loved others and, 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 and gave to those who had need. The way that they lived was so radical that it stood out. Not, not just to us today as we read it, but for the time, in the moment, it, it stood out. And that love, that fellowship, those relationships were forged at the table. The table connects us to one another. Tabling is about mutual learning and growing and giving. It's where we identify with one another. It's where we get the chance uh, to, to, to share our stories and listen to one another's stories. And there's something powerful that happens in our relationships as we commit to investing time at the table. Trust is built. Bonds are formed. We learn to, to empathize. We grow in our love and our respect for one another at the table. And each of us, as we learn to table well together, becomes better. We become stronger, more complete, more fulfilled, more generous, and, and full of joy and full of peace as a result. That's what happened in the early church. This, this was a way of life for them. It's a way of life for them. Verse 46. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. So, so they went to church, and then they broke bread in each other's homes, and they ate together, Luke says, with glad and sincere hearts, okay, praising God and enjoying all the favor, uh, excuse me, enjoying the favor of all the people. That phrase, enjoying the favor, or that means enjoying the goodwill of all people, okay, that refers to a, the acceptance of these early Christians by the people of Jerusalem. Talking about even Romans and Jews who did not uh, convert to Christianity, who did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They, they saw these people and they still had goodwill uh, with them, which means these first believers were well regarded by all different types of people and levels of society. Okay? And I just, I love that picture of the early church. That jumps off the page to me, okay? Because uh, it means that their way of life was so compelling. The way that they conducted themselves the way that they cared for one another, the way that they loved other people was so attractive that, that even people who did not believe in Jesus liked being around them, enjoyed their company, wanted to be around them. They had favor with all the people. So much so, in fact, that some of them eventually did decide to put their faith in Jesus. Luke continues, verse 47, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. What a testimony, right? That the, that the church of Jesus would, would uh, commit to, to following him and, and to living their lives in such a way that, that even people who did not believe in Jesus and put their faith in him, that, that they still enjoyed their favor. And some of them, so much so that eventually Jesus grabbed a hold of their hearts too because of, because of the way that his Jesus community was, was living and, and acting and being, right? That's a testimony. That's a picture of the church I think we're called to be. I think deep down inside, we all long for that. I remember when I was in college, um, I started doing these, uh, these Sunday dinners at my house. Me and my roommates, it was like my junior year in, in college. And uh, so I went to UMass Amherst, which is about two hours outside of Boston. So I was like far enough away from home uh, that, that I was away, but close enough that I can come back if I wanted. But I, I, did, I rarely wanted to. <laughs> so I came back for like Christmas and Thanksgiving, maybe the big holidays. But um, Easter, 
I, I was like, now nah, I'm going to stay up here on campus. And uh, most of my roommates went home. Most of the campus went home. It was kind of a ghost town uh, on campus. The only people who were still there were out-of-state kids. And I had a couple of friends uh, from Massachusetts, but they were Jewish, so they weren't celebrating Easter. And so my, uh, my, me, my one roommate who was from Portland, Oregon, we're like, man, let's just have, let's, let's make some dinner. We'll invite some people over. We'll have a little dinner party. So we did. I think we ended up with like, I don't know, it was like six to eight guys. Again, it became like a running joke. It was like, out-of-state kids and Jews go to Raph's house for dinner. It was like, all right, man, this, we just, we got a following. But, uh, but they came in, we broke bread, we, we watched the game, and it was just, it was awesome. We had a lot of fun. When our roommates came back into town, we're like, man, we had this Sunday dinner. It was great. They're like, well, let's do it again. And so they invited some friends. So the next Sunday we did it. This time, instead of eight to 10, it was like, I don't know, it was like, I'm going to say 12 to 15, right? And, and, and then the following week, we did it again, and it was 20. And the week after that, by the time, we did it every Sunday till like I graduated almost. And, and we got to 25, 30 people. I was like, all right, five bucks ahead at the door. Like, this is getting expensive. We got to figure this out. But it was awesome, like, because everybody was longing for this thing. Now, I will say this, full disclosure, we had uh, me and my roommate splurge for HBO, so Sunday nights, we would have Sunday dinners, and then we'd watch The Sopranos together, okay? And so that's, that might have brought some people, but hey, whatever it takes, right? But it, it was this thing. It became, you know, some of these relationships I still have, some of these guys from those Sunday dinners ended up being uh, guys who walked in my wedding, and like just relationships that were born. And, and listen, I, I wasn't following a Jesus then. My family didn't uh, grow up going to church. I wasn't, um, I wasn't even thinking about that in that moment. But what I realized now, looking back, is I was practicing. I was participating in something that Jesus established long ago, that he put inside, that each of us truly desires. I was tabling. We were tabling. And that's why so many college kids who didn't have to, they would never say, man, I'm longing for this. I need a family-style dinner. But, but something in them drew them to that every, every week, right? I, there, there's something to this. And I think, you know, many of us today, even Christians, right, those of us here in the, in the room today, many of us have relegated our faith, at least in practice, to a couple hours on Sunday morning. And in doing so, we've, we've separated it from the rest of our life. And I just, I read scripture and it, and it jumps out to me that, that for these early believers, that was not the case. Tabling was a way of life for them. It was a way of life. And if we want to be the church that Jesus is calling us to be, just like the one we see in Acts, okay, the, the, the real hands and feet of Jesus, a place where radical generosity is the norm and wealth is shared and needs are met, a place where when one person suffers, we all feel it. When one person rejoices, we all rejoice with them. A place where, where everyone experiences real love, true love and acceptance in the face of our own honesty and brokenness. If we want to be a people compelled by the gospel, to live as Jesus lived and love, love as he loved, then we must commit to tabling as a lifestyle. And so if you're here today and you think, man, I'm in. You got me, Raph. I want to do this, right? How? What's that look like, right? How do we step into that? I'm so glad you asked, okay? We've got a, a, a tabling initiative that we're, gonna, we're, we're launching. So here's what this is going to look like for the summer. Okay, we're doing this for the summer, for the month of June, July, and August. We have one week where we are going to have different people tabling all week long and different hosts, different houses, people in our church. And so uh, the way this is going to look like is so for June, uh, I'll tell you the dates for June. Sunday, June 4th to Saturday, June 10th. Okay, um, right now I think we have five people who agreed to host. 
different tables, again, on different nights all throughout the, the community. So if you go to our website, uh, go to the What's Happening page, relentlesschurch.cc, click on the What's Happening page. You can read all about tabling, find out all the details. You can sign up and say, hey, I'm interested in going to a table. It'll take you to a sign-up genius. You'll see the different days they're happening and how much uh, availability, how much room each host has for people to go and just sign up. And when they're, when they're full, they're full, but we're hoping these build on each other and they grow that this becomes a, a, a thing. And so we'll have an opportunity in June, again in July, again in August. All the details will be up there. If you're interested in hosting, hey, I'd love to do that. That sounds like fun. You can do that as well. That's on the website. Um, I do just some disclaimers because I want to uh, make this as easy as possible. And sometimes we, we put up our own barriers of like why we can't do things. It does not have to be fancy. You don't have to be a gourmet chef. You don't have to have a ton of room or a fancy house or all the things that you might think. You can eat outside. You can have Pete order Domino's and, and sit at the picnic table. You can grill hot dogs or you can go all out if that's your thing, right? Just remove the pressure, get creative. The idea is that we would get in each other's homes and fellowship and do life together. Hopefully meet some new people, right? Get to know some people better who it's kind of surface level. I see you on Sunday, like I want to go a little deeper. Hey, let's table together, right? And so, so that's what we're doing. We encourage you to go up and sign up and, and we want this to take off. Past that, that's for the summer. As we get into the fall, uh, I'm really excited about doing small groups again in homes. We're going we're gonna to do those better, more frequently than, than ever before. So, so we'll have small groups at least four times a year. And I'm strongly encouraging small groups to, to build in the time to make tabling a part of the way we do small group because there's power in that. There's so much power in that. I really do believe that. Um, past that, I think, you know, again, if you see people on Sundays um, that you kind of know, you know your names, you say hi, it's friendly, but you don't know them as well, I'm encouraging you. If you serve with someone in the parking lot on the greeting team or in the cafe or in RCK, kids. Take that step. Step outside your comfort zone and say, hey, let's get the families together and have, and have dinner. Let's, let's table together. I encourage you to do that, okay? Um, and last but not least, I would say if you're not doing this at home with your family, please start. Start. Don't, this isn't me beating anybody up. I know schedules are crazy. Life is hard. There's so many things thrown at us. There's a reason why that as a, as a, as a society we're doing this less and less, but I'm telling you, leave here, just Google, just Google family dinner, right? Uh, family, look up statistics for like what happens when, when kids have regular family dinners at the table at home. And it's, it's crazy, this, the, the, the disparity between the, the, the um, physical, social, spiritual, emotional health of kids who grow up with regular family meals at the table. It will be enough to encourage you, this, this matters, this matters. And when you start doing it at home as a family, It'll, it'll make it that much easier to start doing it with your, with your church family and in the, in the community. So uh, I just, if we need to commit to tabling as a lifestyle, so I'm encouraging you all to do that. Um, as far as the, the, the one we have in June, as I said, we've got five. We've got, I think, between, between the families that are hosting and the space they have available, um, that's room for like 60 to, I think 60 to 75 people are going to be tabling across the church that first week in June. And, and again, if you're like, that's me, go ahead. I want to contact us. I want to host. We can add to that number and maybe it grows, right? So um, I encourage you to go on and, and do that. Tabling is essential to the life of a Jesus follower because it connects us to one another, okay? But lastly, it also connects us to Jesus, right? It connects us to Jesus himself. The table connects us to Jesus and Jesus understood that. He understood that the table would be essential to following him. And that's why on the night before he died, 
at what we call the Last Supper, which was the Passover meal for them, okay? Uh, Jesus chose that moment, the, the Passover, which was the meal that God instituted to ensure that, that his people, the Israelites, would always remember and proclaim how he saved and delivered them from Egypt, okay? In order, Jesus chose that meal in order to establish this new covenant meal, okay? And, and it's what we call the Lord's Supper or communion, Okay. Now, Jesus, knowing that this would be the last time he would ever table with his disciples um, here on earth, he took that opportunity to drive home this, this final lesson. Luke chapter 22, uh, verse 14. When the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. Then he said to them, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. So this was a passionate moment for Jesus. He's like, I've been looking forward to this. I've been anticipating this, this moment, okay? It wasn't so much that he was going to say goodbye to his disciples. That was part of it. But, but it was more so the fact that he had finally arrived to this moment, the central reason for which he had come, which was to establish a new covenant with man based on his own sacrifice, okay? For, 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 for years, it was it was. I sinned, I messed up, I gotta make it right with God, so I'm gonna sacrifice an animal and I'm gonna jump through all these hoops and I'm gonna follow these rules and I'm gonna make myself right and then I can come back into God's presence. And Jesus is saying, that's not gonna be a way of life anymore. Now it's just me. I'm the ultimate sacrifice. You choose to put your faith in me and you and God are good, okay? This is what he's establishing. Verse 19, so he took the bread and gave thanks, broke it and gave it to them, the disciples and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So Jesus takes the bread, he blesses it, breaks it, distributes it to his disciples. And then he takes the cup of wine, gives thanks for it and gives it to the disciples. And then he connects the bread to his body and the wine to his blood. And he invites his disciples to eat and to drink in remembrance of him. Okay, typically at a Passover meal, okay, the way it would work is the host of the meal would lift up the bread and, and he would say, this bread, of, this bread of affliction, which our, no, this is the bread of affliction, excuse me, which our fathers ate in the land of Egypt. Let everyone who hungers come and eat. Let everyone who is needy come and eat the Passover meal. And then everything that is eaten at the Passover meal had a, a symbolic meaning. So, so the bitter herbs were called the bitterness of slavery. And the salt water remembered the tears that were shed under Egypt's oppression. And, and then the, the main course of the meal, which was a lamb freshly sacrificed for that particular household, was the sin-bearing sacrifice that would allow the judgment of God to pass over that household. Okay, so that's how a Passover meal would typically go down. Here's Jesus at the Passover meal. He lifts up the bread, only instead of saying what is usually said, he gives a different explanation. He reinterprets it in himself. And the focus is no longer on the suffering of Israel, the nation of Israel in Egypt, but on the sin-bearing suffering that Jesus would, would take on their behalf for, on the cross. And so, so the Passover created a nation. A slave mob was freed from bondage in Egypt and they became the nation of Israel. This, this new Passover meal, the Lord's Supper that Jesus is installing also creates a people. Those united in Christ Jesus, remembering and trusting in his sacrifice. The table connects us to Jesus. And accepting Jesus' invita invitation to the table means embracing this new covenant from God. And this new covenant is remembered and celebrated with a new kind of covenant meal, okay? 
And so you might have noticed when you came, there's a communion cup underneath your, your, your seat. I, I invite you to go ahead and grab that if you'd like. Um, as you prepare that, don't take it, but you can get it ready. Get the, the, the little wafer out, which represents the bread, and open up the cup of juice, which uh, represents the wine. And I do want to talk to uh, those of you who are here today who maybe um, are not followers of Jesus. Maybe you, don't, you haven't put your faith, your trust in Jesus. Uh, this is not something that you have to do. It's something that uh, Jesus in, invites us to do, but I, I, I will say the invitation extends to you if you decide, hey, I want to put my faith in Jesus for the first time, okay? Um, if not, I would just encourage you. I, uh, Jesus met me in a moment just like this in a service when I was not a believer, and, and, and they were taking communion together as a church, and I just sat there and closed my eyes and said, God, something's going on. I don't feel it. If it's real, show me. <laughs> Speak to me. Reveal yourself to me. If you exist, I need you to show me or do something. And God met me right there. And shortly after that is when I gave my life to Jesus. And so um, I would just encourage you, if that's you, first of all, we are a church for the untold and convinced, and we are unconvinced. And that means we are glad you're here. And, and we want to acknowledge that. And so we, we're praying for you, and we invite you to pray through this time. But for those of us who are, who are going to take the meal, this is how we remember what Jesus did for us. Okay, as we eat the bread, we should remember how Jesus' body was broken, pierced, and beaten for our redemption. As we drink the cup, we should remember his blood that was poured out for us, his life that was poured out for us on the cross. This is also how we fellowship with Jesus. Again, it's an invitation to the table from, from Jesus himself. And so now, because he has reconciled us to God, we can sit at the table as brothers and sisters, okay? And so um, this, is, this meal is not something that we do for Jesus. It's, it's something that he reminds us, that reminds us of what Jesus has done for us, okay? Um, and, and the key is to remember that. Remember that humble gift that he became on the cross, the sacrifice for us, we receive new life from him. So do this in remembrance of me, Jesus said. Go ahead and take the bread, which represents Jesus' body, and go ahead and eat that. Remember the body that was broken for us. Go ahead and take the cup. His blood that was poured out for us. Jesus, we take these, th this moment to remember you collectively, God, as your church. Thank you, Jesus, for, for, for the sacrifice you made on our behalf. Thank you, Lord, for, for going to the cross and, and bearing the weight of the sin of the world so that we would not have to, but also so that we can come into relationship, be reunified, restored with the Father in heaven. God, thank you for eternal life. God, thank you for the life we have now here on this earth and for the, for the power of your Holy Spirit, God, that compels us and leads us to be who you're calling us to be, God, as, as, as believers, as followers, as, as your church. God, empower us by your Holy Spirit to be who you're calling us to be. Lord, we thank you for the new life that we get to experience in you. God, we love you. We praise you. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen.
Y'all, tabling is essential to following Jesus because it connects us. The table connects us to Jesus, connects us to one another. And so please uh, come back next week. I'm excited to to jump in and talk about what that looks like for us as a church. Y'all have a good week. We'll see you next Sunday.